This week on the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast, we are talking about the Battle of Chickamauga. To the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Rail Splitter Jeremy. With me this evening are Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, everybody? Steaming the wrinkles out of your morning clothes, getting ready for that big day at work, or if it's the weekend, you know, tackling and getting chores done around the house. And sorry, Rail Splitter Mary. What up, Rail Split Nash? I thought it'd be <laughs> a little like bit that. like Nick That's... there. <laughs> That's good. So I hope everybody is doing well out there in Rail Splitter Nation. We are not coming to you live from Springfield this week. We are back in our humble abodes, back on the Google chat. Um, So those of you who met us in Springfield, uh, we haven't recorded since we got back. So um, I know the last couple episodes came to you from Springfield. So we just wanted to one more time thank everybody who met us out. And at least I've been reflecting for the last... Gosh, it feels like it's been more than a week, but I guess it hasn't, right? Or has it? It It's been two two weeks tonight that Jer and I left for Springfield. That's right, yeah. So it's been about about a week, a week and a half. So, Uh, But I've been reflecting on it quite a lot. It's brought some smiles to my face for sure. So, um, yeah, definitely good times. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't come out, you missed out, jerks. No, that's mean to me. (laughs) But you could have touched my whiskers. Somebody did. Somebody did pet the whiskers, and it was worth the point. Yeah. I think it was my boy, Jeff. I hope I'm yeah. getting that name yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so, yeah, my beard got touched and fondled. It was it was worth the price of admission for sure. Yep. Um, so, uh, and those of you who didn't make it, uh, all you got to do is wait about 98 more episodes and there might be something uh, for you to check out. So, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of road to travel and rails to split between now and then, but uh, we'll definitely keep you posted. Um, I mean, there could be something in between now and then, of course, but, uh, so maybe you don't have to wait 98 episodes, but we're going to try to do, do some more stuff like that. Cause it worked out really well. Um, it was definitely, definitely worth the time, worth the trip, um, and all that good stuff. So thank you once again. Um, we didn't really have a news story this week. We usually start the show with what Lincoln, uh, or the civil war popped up in the news, but there is something that's happening on Sunday that could be of interest to those of us in rail splinter nation on PBS in the United States, at least, uh, the public broadcasting system, uh, starting on Sunday, possibly our favorite filmmaker, Ken Burns is coming out with his next project. Uh, which is country music. Uh, So the country music Ken Burns piece uh, is coming out uh, or or debuting, I guess, on PBS on Sunday, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Um, And I believe it's going to air for at least a few days. I'm sorry, I I don't don't have the exact details. I know that the first episode will will go uh, on Sunday the 15th. Um, it's an eight-parter, 16 hours, uh, in typical Ken Burns style. You're not going to get your 90-minute feature-length documentary. This is uh, going to be going to be pretty heavy. Uh, so, and I believe this is the first 
first work that he came out with since his Vietnam War piece. Um, so um, I did watch um, the beginning of the country music thing, and I saw Ken Burns talking about country music. Actually, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show, but the, yeah, in Pitchfork, there's that over-under series with Ken Burns. But he talks about what country music, like why he chose country music, because um, he tends to pick things that are very much American and definitive of the United States, uh, baseball, the Civil War, very much defining things in history that uh, that really kind of define the United States in many ways. And then, of course, things that define generations in the United States with World War II and Vietnam. Um, and then, of course, he's got some other projects like the Jackie Robinson Project and the Jack Johnson, the boxer, not the musician, um, work. And then, of course, his earlier stuff, too. So, uh, But anyway, country music. You guys can check it out. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, Nick. Yeah, I'll probably watch part of it. Country well, music, I don't know. I mean, I know. if anything, I'm a I blue, I'm a bluegrass guys, fan. Watch oh, nice. his jazz series. Didn't he do jazz? I like jazz. Well, I don't know. And, and I, I would, yeah, he did jazz, yeah, which okay. is, man, I really should have included that on the uniquely American definitive yeah. projects, but jazz. Um, and this is, I'm guessing, kind of like a parallel work to jazz in, in many ways. Um, but I would, I would imagine, and I don't know for sure, but I would imagine if you are a Civil War fan, uh, that the first episode is going to have to include country music's roots, country mm-hmm. music's roots in the Civil War, maybe the sectionalism prior to that. Um, and there may be some stuff about, you know, the gospels and stuff and, and uh, slave music and, and other things. So, um, yeah, there should, there should be some pretty decent Civil War stuff, I would I would think, uh, in in the first episode. So um, it's worth checking out if you've got 16 hours to spare in, in September. So, uh, But it's always, uh, you know, Ken Burns, uh, his style has evolved, I think, with the times a little bit, you know, using more digital stuff. And you can, you can definitely tell if you, you know, those of us that periodically return to his uh, Civil War documentary you can you can tell that it's i don't don't know if i'd say dated but just the filmmaking was different Mm -hmm. than um and you know vietnam watching it it still has that ken burns feel but it was very Mm -hmm. different um and even the war and that's man the war's probably getting close to 10 15 years old i think that was in like 2005 or so um but that that one you know the filmmaking was much better. Of course, when you got moving pictures, it's much different. Mm-hmm. In Civil War, he had a bunch of still images, but um, but even the way that he incorporated the interviews and everything else. So I'm looking forward to the country music one. Um, there was an accompanying concert that they did at the Ryman Hall in Nashville that, that might be pretty cool to check out um, as well. Um, like, yeah, they're talking about all, all the greats. So anyway, whether you're a country music fan or a Ken Burns fan or both, um, I think if you're a Civil War fan, that first episode might be enjoyable. And then, of course, that might hook you in for the rest of it. Who knows? We'd love to hear your thoughts. So hop on social media and let us know what you think about the new Ken Burns documentary. And if you really like Ken Burns and you're a new listener to the Rail Splitter podcast, you can go back to episode low number. Ooh, I don't know. early there's, days. There's, yeah, I think it was maybe in the teens maybe it was in the teens. before that it was soon it was the first show that i i think i sort of hosted that one because you guys had been to the ken burns oh, right. talk mm-hmm. and then nick was like mary needs to host this and i was like oh okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because you were asking the questions because you hadn't been yep. there and we had. So, um, yeah, it was an early one. But we did an entire episode on Ken Burns um, and um, obviously talked about his Civil War piece, um, the Ashokan Farewell. We, sorry, copyright attorneys, we just played it on the episode. Um, so, yeah. Um, Check that out if you're interested. And keep in mind that was before we had a sound engineer on the show. So it probably doesn't sound as good as the show does now, but, you know, progress. So that was our news piece on Lincoln this week. And today we are going to talk about the Battle of Chickamauga, um, which we've mentioned, I think, a couple times on the show, but we've never had an episode uh, dedicated specifically to it. I know we mentioned it because Mary had visited it and then I visited it uh, and ran a race through there, which was super cool. And I recommend it's coming up in November if you are a runner. Um, so we talked about visiting Chickamauga a couple of times because I, I do feel it's um, I mean, every battlefield's got its own unique aspects. But um, I felt that that was very much a unique battle, especially because of its proximity to Chattanooga and Lookout Mountain, which are breathtaking and amazing civil war or not um but lookout mountain is definitely a must visit and it's super close to the chickamauga battlefield and national park and all that stuff so um definitely worth checking out uh from a visiting standpoint but we need to fill in the rest of the story by telling you about the battle itself what happened why it was important um militarily maybe arguably important depending on you know different takes on it but i think it was super important as far as the war goes, um, and I think it's interesting to think about the the role Chickamauga had in Grant, even though Grant wasn't there. Um, I think it's important to understand like why Grant was needed in the West, why he came to the East when he came, and I think Chickamauga and Lookout Mountain and Chattanooga are very kind of important little pieces to that story. So. Let's talk about Chickamauga, the battle, and I'm going to turn it over to Mary, who is more of the Civil War expert or fangirl, if yeah, you like fangirl Twitter, <laughs> Twitter name or whatever. Um, but anyway, so Mary's going to going to take us through the battle, and Nickel Nickel obviously chime in, and so will I um, from time to time. So Mary, what do you got for us with? Chickamauga, which is super fun to say. Okay, well, first of all, Chickamauga, I think, is one of those battles that uh, it does get overlooked, unfortunately. And I've visited there twice. I've done um, a bit of research about the battle. It's actually my favorite battle to study. It is my favorite, and this is kind of an unpopular opinion. Um, it is my favorite battlefield to visit. Um, it's a battle that is hard to understand, even more so than than Shiloh. I think it's a very chaotic battle, and I think that's sometimes why people shy away from it. It's not like this, it's not clear cut like Gettysburg. Like Gettysburg, you know, researching Gettysburg for those episodes was, it was relatively easy compared to what, what this was. So I hope I can explain the battle well enough to our, our listeners. And I know other scholars in books that I looked at for research, they, they said too that Chickamauga often gets overlooked yet it is such an important battle in the civil war um and i think the other reason it gets overlooked too it's in the western theater mm -hmm. so battles in the eastern theater tended to get more coverage because they were that much closer to the news centers um you know it's the 1860s they don't have text messaging they don't have email so news takes you know longer to travel and it's you know usually a few days after things have happened that the news finally reaches so there's just not that same coverage um 
But this is no doubt just as important a battle as what Gettysburg was. I think it's very decisive. Like Chatt- it's a Chattanooga. Um, does not, spoiler alert, turn out well. The first part of this does not turn out well for the Union. So What? Yeah. <laughs> really? Dude, I didn't do any research. I was hoping to learn. <laughs> Spoiled it for me. Spoiler alert, I told you. <laughs> anyway, so it is fought September 18th to 20th, 1863. So when this episode drops, it's right on the anniversary of day two of the battle. Um, So some sources cite the battle as it beginning on the 19th of September, but there was some skirmishing that happened on the 18th. And I think that is important to remember in looking at this battle. And David A. Powell, which was um, a resource that I consulted, um, his book, The Chickamauga Campaign, um, Volume 2, states that, well, the casualty lists of September 18th were short by comparison to what was to come. The fighting that Friday afternoon, the first true day of the battle, shaped the course of the engagements for the final two days. And it's chaotic fighting, um, as we're going to see in a few minutes. Yeah, and I, I think you make great points about how it's or why it's overlooked specifically, um, like the entire Western tier. But I also think because it's not only is it in the West, but it's not like a Mississippi River battle. It's not a gulf of mexico thing you know it's like kind of stuck in the corner of georgia and you know i think that the the as far south as it ended up you know as it was i think also makes it overlooked more now but i think i think that overlooking phenomenon kind of evolved over time as Mm -hmm. well i think folks folks at the time probably and certainly people in the military and abraham lincoln knew the importance of all the theaters but I think scholarship and interest and tourism kind of gravitated toward Washington, D.C. area and Richmond. And then, you know, you can drive a couple hours in, in, through Virginia and see countless battlefields. Um, so, you know, you probably get a lot more people visiting, you know, Fredericksburg and um, Chancellorsville and whatever else um, than you do going to Chickamauga. So I think that's part of it as well. But that's that's kind of i think why it does get overlooked um because i think part of it is too, you, you don't have the sexy names involved mm-hmm. um you exactly know, long street's involved but you know long street you know doesn't play much of a role to that last day and then you know rosecrans and bragg these aren't your two heavyweight fighters you know mm-hmm. these are kind of i was thinking in my head like two drunks at a bar getting in a fight and kind of watching it and oh my god they kind of go at it you know make us some bad moves some mistakes um some fascinating characters definitely involved in this um you know thomas there you got hood is there j mm-hmm. bell hood you know um that we know from the eastern side but yeah it doesn't like a lot of times in the west if grant's not involved it definitely is not really talked about ever at all mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. and then i guess we could say sherman too but you know we all know grant uh made sherman so hey <laughs> And, yeah. and you'll, I don't know if those, if any of you noticed, but uh, Nick, our our real splitter with a giant Civil War beard, definitely was talking about the sexiness of different Civil War characters in a, in a very thinly veiled reference to his own facial hair, I believe. <laughs> True. No, I do agree with what Nick says. Like the the names of Chickamauga, like when you think of Gettysburg, you inst- you instantly know Meade, Hancock, mm-hmm. Gibbon. Lee, Longstreet, Pickett, like those names. But when you mentioned Chickamauga, people were like, uh, Rosecrans? Mm-hmm. Bragg. 
Longstreet. They don't maybe, think. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. You know, I, you they, know, I don't they know. Don't think like, of, even I, like, my, prior to doing the show, like, my Civil War interest just never led me there. I, don't, I, didn't, I knew very little about Chickamauga other than it was a place and a battle. Like I could not have told you what state it was in, even though like I like I was pretty good at civil, civil war trivia, whatever. I don't think I would have been able to tell you. I mean, I probably would have guessed within four. You know, would have guessed mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle south, uh, but I probably wouldn't have said Georgia. Yeah, and it's and you know, like when you say the name Lytle, who was a Union general, nobody knows his story, but his story is very fascinating. He ends up dying on the battlefield. Um, I actually watched a Facebook Live about, well, I was watching the park ranger do the Facebook Live when I was at Chickamauga, which is really fascinating. And we were standing at the spot where Lytle had been been killed. And like those names just don't, like, they don't ring a bell for people. And I, I mean, I'm the type of person, like, I think I'm like, well, they, they should because the, these men were just as heroic or they did stuff that was just as important as what happened at Gettysburg, but they're just not known. Um, and I think their stories, you know, that they do deserve to be t- told. So the one thing I want to say to our listeners, like, you know, go out and look at Chickamauga. It's, it is a confusing battle, but there's some really interesting stories that go with it. Um, and it's a lot different from Gettysburg in many respects. Um, like, cause it is fought in the South. It's fought, um, near Chattanooga, Tennessee, Chickamauga Creek is very close by. That's where the battle gets its name. It's actually fought in North Georgia, um, very close to the Tennessee border. Um, the name Chickamauga means um, river of death or stagnant water. This is di- disputed amongst scholars, but this is the this seems to be the main one. Um, it could come from a Chickasaw word meaning good country or an Algonquin-derived word meaning a place to fish. But the one that seems to be most prominent, and I'm sure this is because of because of the battle, River of Death, is the most prominent name. I think. So creepy. Yeah, it's really, and um, the terrain of Chickamauga is definitely worth mentioning because um, any of you who've been to Gettysburg, you know the terrain. It's very open. A few parts of the battle are fought in forested areas. Um, but anybody that has been to Chickamauga knows that this is an area that has thick woods and it's very swampy and there are a few open meadow areas. Um, it's basically the opposite to what Gettysburg was. It's not an ideal spot to fight a battle. Uh, Union Brigadier General John Turchin described it as bushwhacking on a grand scale, which is actually the title of one of the books I used by um, his name is William Lee White, and he's a park ranger at Chickamauga Battlefield, and he wrote a book for Emerging Civil War um, book series, which is a really great series um, if you're into the Civil War. Check those books out. Um, So the area along Chickamauga Creek, which is where Bragg's Army is going to be crossing, um, it's described as deep, tree-lined, and bordered by rocky areas. And I took a quick look at it when I was there the last time, and that's the case. It's not a place I would want to be crossing, let alone fighting. Um, and Yeah, the terrain is interesting. The one thing that I, if you're visiting, you almost need to kind of, you know, sometimes you go to battlefields and learn about the battle when you're there, which is great because there's rangers and everything else that are great at teaching that stuff. But Chickamauga is very difficult to I think to, to visualize whereas Gettysburg, you can stand there and just see like how it all played out. And it's kind of all out in front of you, uh, at Chickamauga, 
it was hard for me to be like, where, like, where am I? What is happening here? Uh, so I think a little bit of just, just maybe just listen to this episode. Maybe you're good after doing that. Um, but that would help, I think, because it is really unique terrain um, for a civil war battle. Yeah, it's um, like when I went there, like it's I can tell you it is swampy because I went off the beaten path and I <laughs> ended up in a swampy area. And I mean, I don't, wrestle the gator. It was amazing. I totally did. Um, <laughs> and I'm the type of person like I don't. I don't give a shit if I get, you know, it's like I carry an extra pair of socks with me when I'm at Chickabaga mm-hmm. because like that's, I will run into some swampy area because I wander off the beaten path. Um, and it's, so the army of the Cumberland and the army of Tennessee, they're about to fight in thickets, forests and areas that are not good for line of sight. And this is going to play a role, especially on day two of the battle when Rosecrans makes a huge blunder. Another spoiler alert there, Nick. <laughs> um, so it's difficult for commanding office, officers to have a clear view of what is happening because of the terrain um, so White in his book Bushwhacking on a Grand Scale says in the darkened woods, fields and glades commanders on both sides sometimes lost sight of the enemy and even their own men as the smoke gathered into a thick deadly fog that made it impossible for generals to command effectively um, and so and then Battlefields has a really great article titled 10 Facts, the Battle of Chickamauga, and they mention the terrain in relation to the combat. The fluid battle lines in dense woods led to vicious close quarters combat. And I can, like, and that's why I like to wander off the beaten path at Chickamauga, because when you're in the woods, you are in where they were fighting. And it gives you, you know, I remember standing in the woods at one spot where Longstreet's men had been thinking, like, I would not want to be fighting here. This is horrible. Um, but it's not ideal for a battle to be fought at, but, you know, it's not like Bragg and Rosecrans could get together at a bar beforehand, which would have been hilarious (laughs) (laughs) and said like, Hey, this is not like, this is, this is like a really shitty place to fight a battle. We need to do this elsewhere or, Hey, let's just not do this at all. Like you fight the battle where you are, right? That's exactly what happened. What we saw at Gettysburg. Like that was not Meade's chosen spot to fight that battle but they had to fight it there just like they're going to fight it here along Chickamauga Creek and the train too is one of the reasons why there's such high casualties at Chickamauga every time you talk about terrain in any battle I picture the scene from Gettysburg where they talk about high ground but like there's high ground all over the place and then you also have the the swamps and the trees and everything but you know it's it's hilly for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just say it's hilly because I, you know, ran a race through there and I'm like, oh my god, these effing hills. It is hilly, uh, but it, you know, it's pretty hilly. You know, and of course, I'm also from Illinois, so you know, we we tend to be, you know, call things hilly that may, maybe other people are like, you call that a hill? Uh, but anyway, there's high ground all over the place, and like most of the, you know, where we see the artillery was placed and everything, all of the positions look pretty good. So. Yeah, I mean, all the battles that we've talked about, other battles in the East, whenever it's in the wood, they just gets crazy because you can't see. And then next thing you know, you're on top of each other. And then mm-hmm. that's hand to hand combat. That's bloody. That's deadly. And we see the same story playing out here as we saw in like the wilderness yep. and other battles as far as that stuff goes. And yeah, it just makes it all that much worse. I mean, when you got terrain, that's covered. Makes it yep. tough. Made it tough for the Bragg and Rosecrans, too, to see what was going on. And 
make decisions and make informed decisions as well. Well, also because it it's really Bragg and Rosecrans. Yeah, and it was really dusty at this time. I believe it was yeah. during kind of a dry spell. Yeah. So up they're kicking up dirt all over the place. And then one of the nights, it got down to like almost freezing or below freezing. Yeah. And they, neither side lit fires. So Mm-mm. you had that after the first day of fighting. They had a kind of a rough night. So on top of the porch rain. So, yeah, kind of all just kind of adding up. Yeah. And so the importance of Chattanooga is it is a vital railway hub with four major rail links. And so it's crucial to Confederate supply lines. They need it to ship stuff in and out, you know, to Richmond, take stuff from Atlanta and get it going to the east. Um, So if the Union were to take Chattanooga, this is going to open the door for them to advance upon Atlanta and even further into the Confederate heartland. It's also along the Tennessee River and rivers are very important, as we saw with, you know, Vicksburg. And, you know, when that was captured, Lincoln said the father of waters now flows on Vex to the sea. So if he can get this, he's got the ten- he's got that you know line along the Tennessee River too, and that's a way that he can move supplies, that supplies can be moved down as well. Yeah, and I think that that's that's one of the elements of like why the battle may not be uh, recognized as a major battle. Um, I think it's because the Confederacy won. You know. Had they lost, it would have been probably signal signal like this amazing victory because of what would have happened. I think we're a little more um, reluctant to call it a major battle when you see like, well, the, there wasn't really mm-hmm. any major, you know, after they won at Chickamauga, it's not like they just like started rushing north and like somehow divided forces or, you know, like, you know, like that map at the Lincoln Museum that shows the Civil War in four minutes where like, the area is controlled by the Confederacy in the North is kind of moving. It's not like the battle of Chickamauga happened. And then there was like this big Northern Mm -hmm. push. Um, So I think that, that it's important to recognize when you're looking at Confederate victories, especially as major battles, like what would have happened had they lost and had they lost like, like what you just said, Mary, like that would have been, we would have been talking about that. Maybe the war would have ended earlier, Mm -hmm. or at least, you know, it would have been, a different ending of the war because you could have cut off the South and cut the South in two earlier. Um, but it didn't happen that way, which I think is important and should be then looked at as a major battle. Cause man, if it had gone the other way, it would have been, you know, catastrophic. Whereas you look at a, a battle like maybe second Manassas or second bull run, very, very important in terms of casualties. But, you know, it, it, you know, had the North won, I think it would have been huge, but they still would have just, kind of been protecting Washington DC or maybe pushing, maybe push towards Richmond. Um, but there, and there would have been another battle obviously, and, and they would have been able to defend Richmond perhaps. Um, but I think that when you're deciding what's a major battle and what's not, you have to look at what would have happened had they lost, how high stakes was it yep. for, for the losers? Yeah. And I mean, as we're going to see, like, you know, because this is going to be a Confederate victory and it does go into a siege. And I mean, we're going to pick this up again in November when the battles for Chattanooga actually happen, but you know, it's still like you know, th- there's that time of tension, like, oh, we could still lose the city. Um, and when you view Chattanooga from Lookout Mountain and Jeremy, you'll know exactly what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. You get a sense of why Lincoln saw Chattanooga as being so important to the Union and why it was so important that the Confederacy needed to keep it in their hands. And Lincoln remarked that the city was as important as the city of Richmond. And that's something that needs to be remembered. That's another reason why this, you know, Chickamauga is an important battle to study. Like, 
this is the city that Richmond that Lincoln saw as being as important as Richmond. And um, it was, you know, White reiterates this in bushwhacking on a grand scale. The city's capture was crucial. Chattanooga was considered the gateway to the important industrial heartland of the Confederacy in central Georgia. Yeah, and I think that, that that's important to look at, the Tennessee River specifically. And I think sometimes that gets forgotten because Chickamauga is a little bit, it's not like it's not exactly on the Tennessee River, but it was very much about the Tennessee River, especially the battles of Chattanooga and Lookout Mountain. So um, I think when people Chattanooga, because because Nashville and Knoxville are so uh, are kind of trendier cities right now, that I think people overlook Chattanooga as a as a pretty important industrial city, certainly in the Civil War, and then of course on the Tennessee River. So it's a cool city to visit too. I mm-hmm. there's lots of great restaurants there. There's you know there's a really great aquarium. Um, there's lots of stuff to see there besides the battlefield too. Although that's why I've been the last two times is just to go to, to Chickamauga and to look out mountain. Um, but it's, re- it's a really cool place to visit. Um, so who's fight, who's going to be fighting there? So the union is led by the army of the, Cum- it's the union army, of the Cumberland led by general William Rosecrans, also known as old Rosie. He's from Ohio. He graduated fifth in his class at West Point. He ends up resigning from the Army soon after graduation, which is much like Grant and Sherman ended up doing. Um, And he's described as highly intelligent, creative, and energetic. But he could also be sarcastic, nervous, excitable, and stubborn, and hypocritical of both his own officers and superiors. So he's kind of difficult to deal with at times. And that happens on this campaign, like on this battle as well. The prominent commanders at Chickamauga are General Thomas, General McCook, General Crittenden, General Granger, Calvary led by General Mitchell, and also fighting here are General Sheridan, as well as future President of the United States, James Garfield. He is part of Rosecrans' staff. So I think that's a really cool thing to mention, too, is that Garfield was fight another future president is fighting here at the battle. But other than... And, and remember, Garfield was assassinated... And then replaced by Chester A. Arthur. Thank you, Nick. These are, these are facts. Shout out to my boy, Chester A. Arthur. I'm excited for a, uh, a full-length narrative feature on his life story. I'm continuing to advocate for that and push for that. So, Chester A. Arthur, you're my boy. And that is Nick's promotional thing for the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to say? <laughs> That was great, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> I'm assuming it's in pre-production right now in Hollywood. So, okay. Spielberg. Thank I was just going to say, is Spielberg behind this? Yeah, it's going to be better than Good. Lincoln. Wow. Daniel Day-Lewis is going to be Chester A. Arthur. That's... Coming out of retirement. Wow, well, well, that's or amazing. such a prominent historical figure like CAA, Chester <laughs> A. Arthur. Um, you know, it makes sense. When I hear CAA, I think Canadian Automobile Association. I did not think that. I did. I can say I've never thought those three (laughs) words together, ever. Because I'm a member of CAA. (laughs) This one really got off the rails now. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Anyway, so the Confederates are led by the Army of Tennessee, uh, or Confederates. It's Army of Tennessee led by General Braxton Bragg. Bragg is from North Carolina. He attended West Point, and just like Rosecrans, fifth in his class is where he graduated. Mm. He's a hero in the Mexican War. 
but he developed a reputation as a whistleblower, a strict disciplinarian, and a man unafraid of clashing with men of great power. This includes General Winfield Scott and, at the time, Secretary of War Jefferson Davis. But Mm. obviously... Davis and Bragg got over whatever the heck was going on because Davis puts Bragg in charge and besides Bragg's wife becomes one of his biggest cheerleaders. And Bragg is the master of it's not business, it is personal. Mm. I like that. Yeah, that's how he operates. He's, And I think like Bragg I don't think liked anybody and that was Sherman's opinion of him. In Sherman's memoir, Sherman wrote, I don't think he likes anybody at all. I think Bragg liked his wife and he liked his dog. Although I don't know if Bragg actually had a dog, but he would be the type of person that would be really, you know, a jerk to you, but then be really nice to his dog and his wife. That's Really? Because when I look at Bragg's picture, he looks like a guy a dog wouldn't even like. Or the dog would really like him because he's like a prominent. Because he's a bastard. So yes, Bragg is the master of it's not business, it's personal. And one other thing, just really quickly yeah. about Bragg. Um, many of you m- many of you in the United States may be familiar with Fort Bragg, which is named for Braxton Bragg. Mm. Um, and it is the largest military installation in the world. Fun fact for you, there's more than 50,000 active duty people, uh, personnel, at Fort Bragg, Fort Braxton Bragg. Interestingly, I haven't heard that brought up in the conversation of things named after Confederates. Um, but uh, the very well-known uh, Fort Bragg, named after a person committing treason against the United States. Yes. And also, and even a good also his, his biography is called The Most Hated Man in the Confederacy. Dang. That that's is a bold statement. This this is who we're dealing Folk with. Forrest was in there, so that's 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 saying something. He is, and and Forrest actually, um, and we'll probably talk about this when we talk about the battles for Chattanooga, November. Forrest wrote Bragg this like it is this in it's like the ultimate like don't ever come near me again or I will kill you letter because of what Bragg like Bragg just takes down. If you look at him wrong while you're eating dinner with him, he will not like you. That's, I know that might, that might seem like a really harsh assessment of him, but when I was listening to the audiobook of The Smoke at Dawn, his chapters, I wanted to throat punch him. <laughs> I'd just kick him in the dick. <laughs> that too. Jeez. My mother listens to this show. <laughs> I apologize, Mrs. Boyce. I'm sorry, Mrs. Boyce. My mom my mom claims she listens to some shows, but I'm pretty positive she doesn't. So mom <laughs> hey, <Mrs. Stangy. laughs> Mom, if you're listening, you should text me that you listen to this episode. But I know you're not going to, so I, I don't think my mom listens, but hi mom. All right. There my mom go. guess the, has the MVP of the listeners, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um so the organization of the Army of Tennessee it starts off very similar to the union with, with the Corps, but then evening of September 19th, as we're going to talk about, Bragg decides to change that all in a move that is classically Braxton Bragg to have a right wing that will be commanded by Leona Polk and a left wing commanded by General James Longstreet. So he changes how things are going midway through the battle. Uh, his cavalry is led by General James Wheeler, um, with a secondary cavalry led by General Nathan Bedford Forrest. Uh, 
Um, other notable Confederates fighting here include uh, Claiborne Hill and Hill. Hill, I believe, came, he was at Gettysburg, as well as Abraham Lincoln's brother-in-law, Benjamin Hardin Helm. And he's married to Emily Todd, Mary Lincoln's half-sister. Prior to Helm joining up with the Confederacy, Lincoln had offered him the position of paymaster of the Union Army. So this is another connection. Besides the importance of Chattanooga, this is another connection that Lincoln has to this battle. His brother-in-law is fighting for the Confederacy. And this is actually something that uh, will play um, kind of a controversial role in Lincoln's presidency um, after... um, well, I mean, Helm, most people know he's going to die at the Battle of Chickamauga. And afterwards, there is something that happens involving his sister-in-law. So the total number of forces engaged here are 125,000. 60,000 are Union and 65,000 are Confederate. So the Confederates definitely have the upper hand in this battle. And as I'm sure you've already garnered, the commanders here are not the best the Civil War has to offer. <laughs> Um, there, uh, there's a quote I found for about both of them. Both were men of great talent and both had made powerful enemies. And as for the battle itself, um, an article from Hallowed Ground magazine describes it as mass confusion, chaos, and insubordination plaguing both sides of the battle. Another person I want to mention that is actually with the Union Army is um, Assistant Secretary of War Charles Dana, who has been sent there to quote-unquote gather information in other words he's there to spy on rosecrans and rosecrans and his staff all know this as well so he is at the battle too and he is sending messages back to washington as the battle is unfolding not a very good spy if everybody knows you're spying well i yeah i know i was like when i read that i was like what like they all knew like anyway so i guess he had to be there because you can't very well kick out the government guy right that does not look very good. Um, well, that's a, that's a pretty high official to be at, like literally at a battle. Yeah. Normally, officials at that level would be like inspecting troops yep. far away from combat. So, um, I don't know if they he may have been doing that when the you know, and then all of a sudden the the moment came. But um, yeah, I'm sure he didn't like plan on coming in for a battle. But no. um, still pretty interesting. It reminds me of like the Rocky Four when like he goes to the Soviet Union. And they got like those guys spying on him. I don't know why that popped in my head, but no, like, obviously there's yeah, yeah, like, yeah obviously they're spying on me. And then he runs up that mountain, and they can't keep track. Oh yeah, he, like, <laughs> he like, runs the car. <laughs> and the, yeah, he jukes yeah. him, and he goes on the yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm, that's okay. Man, we're we are off the. <laughs> that's rails. really good. No, that's just typical rail splitter style. Nope. Yeah, you got that right. Yeah. So the lead up to the battle. So Rosecrans is heavily focused on taking Chattanooga. Um, because that's part of his orders. So when he took command in late October 1862, um, he was told first he's to drive the enemy from Kentucky and Middle Tennessee, and then he's to take East Tennessee, cut the railway line either at Chattanooga, Cleveland, or Athens, so as to destroy the connection of the Valley of Virginia with with Georgia and other other southern states. Um, so So Rosecrans doesn't want to take Chattanooga head on, so he uses deception and maneuvering to get Bragg away from there. And it's actually quite clever how he does this. So he sends this diversionary force into the hills and ridges north of the city. And they get really innovative. They start dragging tree limbs behind horses to stir up clouds of dust. 
They have multiple campfires to make it seem like there's a lot of troops and they're chopping down trees and banging on barrels to make it sound like they're constructing pontoon bridges. By September the 8th, this has, you know, made Bragg think, oh, they're nearby. And he leaves Chattanooga. Without a fight, he leaves. So Union General Thomas Crittenden, Crittenden is able to take Chattanooga without a struggle. Which if that had been me, I would have been, this is way too easy. Why is this happening this way? Um, and Rosecrans sends a telegram to Halleck on September 9th, stating, Chattanooga is ours without a struggle, and East Tennessee is free. Um Bragg ends up going to Lafayette, Georgia to reorganize his troops. Rosecrans gets a little bit arrogant at this point, and this is where Thomas steps in and says, I think we need to bring everybody here. At this point, the Army of the Cumberland is very scattered. But Rosecrans chooses not to listen to him, and he just wants to go and get Bragg. So he disperses his Army of the Cumberland into northern Georgia to go and find him. And again, Thomas is advising against this um, because right, right now, each core of the Army of the Cumberland is 40 miles apart. That's not good if you get attacked. If one core gets attacked, another one can't get to you in time to save you. So Bragg learns about how far apart they are, and he tries to defeat the Army of the Cumberland a few times but because of insubordination and just not getting orders or orders not being clear, this never happens, luckily. And Rosecrans eventually figures out what Bragg is trying to do, and he immediately orders his army to return to Chattanooga. So by September the 17th, they are closing in on the city, and the core of the Army of the Cumberland are now in a position that they will be able to support each other if an attack occurs. I was just going to add, yeah, it's kind of... Got it. Bragg gets out of there. You know, Rosecrans tricks him. And then Bragg, you know, gets reinforcements. And then Rosecrans like, oh, damn. You know, it's a drunken bar fight. One yeah. guy I think they had it. Another guy, you know, gets lucky, swings, hits. And now we're going to have it out. Yeah. Uh, they're on the streets now. They're ready to throw yep. down, as the kids say. And that's where we are on September 18th, which is day one of the battle. Um so fighting begins today, and as I mentioned earlier, it's just skirmishing along Chickamauga Creek. So Bragg's plan is to drive a wedge between Rosecrans and Chick- Chickamauga, or sorry, Chattanooga, and things do not go Bragg's way at all. So fighting, no, they it, don't. no. So he's not a happy man. He's not gonna be happy the next day either. No, he's not. Well, he's uh, never happy. No, he's <laughs> happy and Bragg are not two terms I would ever use in the same sentence. <laughs> Kind of like uh, Fillmore and Intelligent. Oh, <laughs> yeah, ooh, there's our Fillmore reference, real splitters. Or uh, Fast and McClellan. <laughs> ah, yes, we will be doing. By the way, we will be doing an episode about McClellan sometime mm-hmm. soon. <laughs> so <laughs> there's fighting between Confederate infantry led by General Bushrod Johnson. What a name! <laughs> yeah, that's a good name. And that's a, that's inappropriate. Yeah, I it agree. is. I think we're going to have to put an E <laughs> right, rating on yeah. it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go any further with that one. Yes. Good call. <laughs> I, I could, but I won't. Yes. Um, and Union Cavalry are led by Colonel Robert Minty. Mm-hmm. This fighting occurs at Reed's Bridge. <laughs> Minty Bushrod. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nick went there. <laughs> yeah. 
And sorry, he could have gotten a lot worse. So I yeah. Oh, I was thinking of getting a lot. I, I didn't do it, though. So um, Minty and his men withdraw across Reed's Bridge, and they're unable to destroy the bridge before Johnson manages to cross it. But he ends up moving parallel to Chickamauga Creek and not diagonal towards Chattanooga as he should be. So he's basically marching the wrong way. Uh, meanwhile, over at Reed's Bridge, Union Cavalry Colonel John T. Wilder and his brigade are just a few miles down from where Minty is. They are armed with Spencer repeating rifles, and they manage to repel... Is that Reed's Bridge or Alexandria Bridge? Oh, is it... Oh, sorry. Yes, it's Alexandria. Thank you. Dang, look at, look at Nick picking Thank up. you, Nick. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that crash course of 20 minutes Thank of research you, Nick. got Yeah, me. that's me typing my notes too fast on Saturday. Um. Thank you so much. Um, oh, no problem. No, when I, when I said Reed's Bridge, I was like, wait, I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they are armed with Spencer repeating rifles, and they manage to repel a Confederate attempt by General William Walker's Corps from crossing the creek. Um, but Walker ends up moving down to Lambert's Ford, which is not defended, and he manages to get his troops across around 4.30. So by the end of the day, only 9,000 of Bragg's troops have crossed, which is not where he wants to be. But yeah, by, this is like a a disaster. I don't know if a disaster is the right way to put it, but I mean, this shows you that the Union troops that they met there, you know, especially Minty slowing them down, and then to the point where they couldn't even get across the other bridge and had to move up north to get across. So, um, and for those of you listening, the flanks will end up being like north and south. They're still left and right, but they're like positioned north yeah. and south, the lines run on this too for the most part yeah i'm cracked on that right yeah yeah, you are yeah they're north to south lines that they run um so by the morning by the morning of september 19 three quarters of bragg's forces are going to be across um but meanwhile like so rosecrans on the 18th his headquarters is at a place called crawfish springs he can hear the whole battle unfolding and it's luckily that he could so these delaying actions that minty and wilder did altered Rosecrans to like alerted Rosecrans to Bragg's movements and it gave the Federals time to react. And this is where Rosecrans actually does something really good. Um, He and Thomas decide that um, Thomas will march North up what is called the Lafayette road, which is the main road leading into Chattanooga. And Rosecrans knows that he needs to protect that road. And what he's doing is he's extending his um, the line to the left. So Bragg thinks it's going to be at one spot. It's actually going to be extended a lot further. And that's not going to be good for Bragg on the morning of the 19th. Um, in doing this extension, Rosecrans is risking creating gaps. Um, because when one core leaves, another one has to be there to fill in. But all of this happens perfectly. Um, so communication is really good here. Um, so I think this is a place where we need to note that Bragg does something, you know, he's really showing that, you know, I think Bragg had, or sorry, not Bragg, Rosecrans, <laughs> Rosecrans, sorry, Rosecrans had talent as a commanding general. And this is one of the ways in which he did it. You know, the communication is spot on for what it needs to be and getting Thomas to extend his line in order to protect Chattanooga. Um, it did involve night marches, however, um, to get troops in place, which means your troops are going to be more exhausted when they have to fight the next day. But nonetheless, 
Rosecrans has managed to extend his line how he wants to, and it is not how Bragg wants to find it the next day. And I think that um, just looking at time, this is kind of a good spot. So, Mary, so right now in the storyline, we're kind of kind of on the precipice of the major the major stuff, like yeah. the, where the battle becomes the battle. Um, so can you just kind of just give us just like a quick overview, like what are we looking at? Where are, like what's it look like right now as they're going to as we get ready? And then in the next episode on, Ch- on yeah. Chickamauga, we'll pick it up with like the major fighting on the 19th. So the troops, as Nick said, are in a like they're in a south to north line and uh, Rosecrans has extended his line um, close to the Lafayette Road in order to protect Chattanooga. Um, Bragg has three quarters of his, by the morning of September 19th, three quarters of his forces are going to be across Chickamauga Creek and ready to fight the next day. And fighting will begin shortly after dawn on that day. But the Union line is in a good defensive position to hopefully hold Chattanooga. All right. So we hate to leave you there with two giant armies staring at each other, but we will finish the story. Uh, But it will be in a later episode. So this was kind of a setting up of the Battle of Chickamauga, but I think sometimes that uh, is as interesting as important as the battle itself. Um, You know, I think... Sometimes when we even talk about battles, the actual major fighting is less interesting than how the heck did they get tens of thousands of people in these positions to even make these decisions uh, in the major battle uh, parts of the battle. So uh, thank you for all the research, Mary and Nick, so far. I think this has done, been a good setting of the stage for uh, for the Battle of Chickamauga. Um, so before we leave you, Rail Splitter Nation, we do want to, of course, come back to our weekly features. The first one is when we bring a social media post that resonated or we thought was interesting or we just liked into the show. And this segment is called Of the People by the People. Uh, who would like to go first with their social media post this week? I'm just trying to find mine. I could do it. Okay, all right. Go ahead. I've been doing the reviews. Nice. We're all caught up. I don't think I did this review, considering we got it on the 30th. Correct me if I... Did we do the review from Cubs Fan 88? I think so. I think we did. All right, never mind. So I am not ready (laughs) for this. But I saw we got a lot of uh, listeners uh, here recently. So if you're a new listener and you like what you're hearing, go ahead and on iTunes and give us five stars. If you're listening, you don't like us, uh, just turn it off. Don't listen anymore, and definitely don't review us. <laughs> so uh, feel free to hit subscribe, though. That would be beneficial. Uh, did I buy anybody enough time to find oh, I had, yeah, I had I've one. Got, I've got oh, one, okay. too. Um, so the one that I had uh, was from Presidential Trivia, which is the Twitter handle at TriviaPotus, uh, which is a decent follow. The reason I chose this one is because it's about President James Garfield, who, of course, was as we mentioned earlier in the show, at Chickamauga. So I thought it would be fitting to include some facts about him that will make us all feel terrible um, because of the wonderkind that James Garfield was. And here's what the tweet says. By age 32, James Garfield had been a professor of classical languages, 
president of Western Reserve Electric Institute at Hiram College, ordained as a minister, admitted to the Ohio Bar, a general in the Union Army, and elected to the House of Representatives, all by the age of 32. So when I was 32, uh, I could barely um, make it to work on time. That's not true. I, you know, I was a, I was a teacher. I was doing just fine at 32, but nothing like James Garfield. So, um, wow. he, uh, he's an impressive Ohioan for sure. And I would just, um, like to say if you ever have the chance, real splitters, if you find yourself in mentor Ohio or near there, the James A. Garfield home is an amazing place to visit. Um, it's part of the national park service and I've been there a couple of times before their tours are excellent definitely visit it he's a fascinating man and i think he uh he's pretty underrated as a president even though he was only in for a short period of time agreed so my turn yeah go ahead okay so mine is actually it's a review sort of um it was a response that we got to our tweet about the 100th episode it's from matt byers 63 just finished the 100th Loved, loved, loved the energy you three put out. Made me feel like I got to go with you. Looking forward to more, especially Nick's 500th motherkin episode. <laughs> That's right. My retirement. Yeah, I like that. So thank you for that, Matt. All right. I got one for the Facebook group, which we're up to 390 members, by wow. the way. This is from our boy, Eric Lee, who we actually met um, yeah. down in yes. Springfield who volunteers at the Lincoln Museum. Uh, Was it twice a month or? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so um, he shared. This kind of ties in. Those of you who couldn't make it to Springfield, he has shared a link of the tour of the Lincoln home that was posted by the Abraham Lincoln uh, Museum um, and thought you might enjoy it. So a tour of the Lincoln home with curator Susan, oh gosh, Hake, H-A-A-K-E. So, um, yeah. Check that out if you weren't able to go down. Uh, Mary finally got to see the home for the first time, um, so which we talked about in the previous episodes. So, yeah, if you can't make it, you want to see it virtually, go to the Facebook chat. It is an amazing spot to visit. I loved it there. Indeed. Um, and our last uh, weekly feature is our This Week in Lincoln. Mary or Nick, do you have a instance of Abraham Lincoln showing up outside the context of history or presidential politics nothing no nothing all that Uh, time in springfield and we didn't pick up anything no i mean i do have my new water bottle that i got from the lincoln home lame (laughs) thanks i'm trying there's gotta be uh something so, of all the Lincoln Lunacy... Oh, yeah, you know what, Lincoln Lunacy? It's not Lincoln, but I don't know if we talked about Like, Mary Lincoln. We had dinner with Mary Lincoln. Yes. Yes, we did. Mary Lincoln was drinking a beer, which I didn't know she did. And swearing. And swearing like a mo. So, Mary Lincoln watched me eat a freaking horseshoe <laughs> at in Springfield on a beautiful outside day. And I believe she did go... You know what? I don't care if you can see my underwear because it's hard to sit in the hoop skirt. I'm paraphrasing she, that, but that's, that's all for said. Mary Lincoln. Yeah, the real Mary Lincoln. Yes, indeed. So yeah, we we were graced the presence of Mary Lincoln over dinner and drinks, and it was awesome. Yeah, very cool. 
So any parting thoughts uh, for this week, Rail Splitters? Rail Split Nace, just keep, keep, keep it strong. Yep. You know, keep repping us on Facebook, the Twitter, and, you know, drop us a post. Drop us an email, you know. I don't know. You do a little voice email, maybe we'll throw it up on the show. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Do we have an email account? Do we even check email? We I don't are, know. Yes, we do have an email account. It is therailsplitterpodcast at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to send to us, we are at railsplitterpod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can search for the Railsplitter Podcast on Facebook, and you should be able to find our Facebook group, uh, which is quite active and pretty pretty fun to follow. Any parting thoughts from Mary? Uh, I just want to uh, thank our listeners for all their support now that we are recording episode 102. It's pretty cool. I like how the show is going, and I'm looking forward to the next 98 episodes. No, 97 now episodes. That's right. All right. So uh, thank you all for listening, and please take some time to review us if you haven't already, and we will definitely look forward to uh, hopefully making the show even better for you in the future. Um, so please, Rail Splitter Nation, continue to walk the world with malice toward none and charity for all. And we'll see you next week.